Hey, welcome to another episode of Remarkable Regional Business. In this episode, we're speaking to Jared Robinson from Connected PE. Jared is an absolute legend. Connected PE is quite the remarkable uh, business based here in Bendigo, but servicing the entire world. Uh, he has a database of, I think, the largest database of PE teachers in the whole world, 30,000 of them. Uh, and he services that market really, really well. We're going to be talking about a whole long list of really valuable insights into how he's grown that business and how he runs it right now. But off the top of uh, the top of the list, the highlights, we talk about uh, designing a business that serves you rather than you serving it, which is something that every business owner can uh, relate to how to launch products and services that you know will work. Um, so not just shooting in the dark and hoping something sticks. Building a business that creates businesses, sellable businesses, that's pretty rocking. That's where Jared's at at the moment. And leveraging AI as a product. And I know you will have been almost probably sick to death of hearing about AI uh, as a tool, but Jared's used it in his business uh, to as a product to sell to uh, his consumers and his clients. So stay tuned for that. This is a rocking episode and I really hope you get lots of value from it. So let's get into it. Okay, Jared, thanks so much for coming into the Emporium studio uh, here. This is going to be so much fun. I'm really excited to uh, to hear all about Connected PE. So thanks for coming in, mate. Appreciate it. I got here. I did go to the wrong place, though, first. Did you? Where did you go first? Clear Dynamics. <laughs> I, and then I looked at the email. I'm like, he did not say Clear Dynamics at all. <laughs> and lucky they're close. <laughs> yeah, so. That's great. Well, funnily enough, your episode, this episode right now, is following following on from number one episode with Craig Hunter from Clear Dynamics. So it's synergy. It's, it's meant just, to... It's, it's fully entangled. <laughs> well, we're not talking anything about Clear Dynamics today. No. We are talking about Connected PE, your business. Mm-hmm. Mate, what is Connected PE? Wow. I mean, what it is now is very different to kind of how it began. Okay, well, let's start with what it is now. What, what does it look like right now? Really, it's PE teachers and it's a, a platform that provides resources and software to help PE teachers be better at what they do. Right. That's all encompassing. Yeah. But really, that's the they're the they're the audience. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of PE teachers in the globe, yeah. and we kind of get to be able to leverage the internet to get in touch with all of them. What sort of market are we talking about in terms of how many PE teachers roughly are, uh, is your market size? Well, I mean, I don't even know the exact number of no. that. But if you, <laughs> I know the numbers of schools, and okay. there's ten thousand schools in Australia, and if you extrapolate that kind of general population connection to the world it's a big big audience every school probably has a PE teacher and they're not going to stop kind of arriving so yeah we build for that niche within a niche okay PE teachers right so currently the the front end of connected PE is a web platform with tools and resources pretty much yeah it's a membership subscription kind of entity get access to what I like to refer to and market as Netflix for PE. Nice. I think that's a good metaphor to kind of help you understand what it is that they get. And um, as part of that, there's all these different tools and widgets and apps that they get to leverage and use to make their job a bit easier. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. So you begin there, though. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what it is now. Give me some maybe some stats of what your mem how many members that are using the the platform, mm -hmm. um, in how many countries. What what sort of scale of of usership and business are we talking about here? Yeah. So we've got free and paid plans. So it depends, you know, the mix of that. But we've got well over ten thousand plus members, and courses that you know people can do on the platform from other people presenting on the platform for us is over 200 courses um, which you know sounds like a lot but you sort of do that over time and you get this big library of material and um, we've got AI generation in there now for like lesson planning and so on and I think the last time I checked there was about 20,000 lessons generated in the three or four or five months that we've had that kind of tool set oh at our disposal so yeah it's lots and then We've got a lot of iPhone apps and things too that are outside of that website, and some of those have you know millions of downloads and um, wow. yeah, really just building things for teachers and wow. global scale stuff. Right. So paint the picture of what are some of those other kind of assets you mentioned apps like mm -hmm. it's not just connectedpe.com. Like what else? What else exists in the ecosystem that is this business? We've got um, a product called Sports Tracker, and you remember when you went to school and you were competing in sports events like your swimming and athletics carnivals and cross country. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, most schools run that type of setup. So we have a platform that allows them to run their carnivals and enter results from the events wow. and share that with parents live and, you know, wow. make that whole process easier. So that's one of them. Um, we've got kind of like um, tools to help people get moving and active yeah. with like Chrome extensions and I mean, we've we've had a little bit of ADHD along the journey and, and built an array of things. But yep. these days, it's kind of in about four or five main buckets yep. um, where most of our action kind of happens from. And yeah, it's pretty pretty awesome. Wow, it does sound very cool. Um, well, that's kind of the front end, what it looks like to mm. the consumer. What about the back end? Like, what does your business look like? What does running this business look like from, the, look from like? the back end? Like, who's involved? Um, where do you operate from? All that sort of stuff. Just operate out of Bendigo uh, from my desktop, I guess. And yeah. yep. um, I used to have a laptop. So, you know, these days I'm even less mobile. Yep. Um, these days just a desktop and mostly the phone because... You know, with Slack and other kind of tools and your team, then you're really kind of limitless in terms of what you can do. So a lot of what happens in the back end is me communicating with my team, virtual assistants mm -hmm. who live in the Philippines and the like, mm -hmm. um, developers who build some of the products and services that we offer, mm -hmm. and me only really kind of entering into the fray when I have to give some sort of general guidance or thought direction. And that's usually done via chat to the people who then make that thing happen. So I don't have wow. to do a whole lot of day to day. It's wow. more, more the bigger picture. Um, maybe put out some fires here to there, yeah. here and there, but the team ships products, delivers messages, and yeah, puts the ideas I have into my head into action, I guess. That's kind of a dream state for a lot of businesses, being able to, business owners anyway, getting to the stage in their business where the team is the machine and the engine that runs efficiently and effectively. Sure. How, well, firstly, what is your, you mentioned, you know, big picture stuff, but detail-wise, like, what does your day-to-day -day look like at activity within the business look like? 
I mean, it's a conscious choice, right, to spend as much time as you like um, on it or, you know, doing other things. And I've made the choice to do not as much as other people might have done. Historically, I used to spend all my waking hours working on things for the business. And what is it that the law of however much time you give something, you're going to spend on it. And some of that work wasn't very efficient and effective, and it's just work for busy kind of, you know, sake. Mm. These days, I, I spend time with my kids. And, you know, I, I run a business that's leveraged because of the staff that we have. Yeah, um, wow. it, it doesn't mean that I'm not uh, over things day to day, but I make the choice to only work when it's kind of required and necessary, and that's a very hard thing to do sometimes mm. um, but I mean you've set it up so that you can do that right? for sure yeah this it. is an online business that yeah. runs and is leveraged by software essentially yeah. and if you build team around it then there isn't much left for you to do besides think up new ways to maybe get to market or yeah. you know communicate the idea um, which frees you up you know, so you can do things that because I think time is the ultimate commodity and, you know, a lot of really successful business people are falling into the trap of still being jobs in their business, like still working in their business and a slave to their business. And that, for me, is not really that desirable. How long did it get you to take you to get to that stage? <laughs> well, this isn't an overnight journey at all. It's years, yeah, years and years um, yeah. to realise that there's some really good lifestyle trade-offs and you can make a choice to lean into having a bit more time um, to do things that the business can make possible for you. Yeah. Um, and it started by just scheduling out my days. So I've got certain days where you can't book calls. You can't lock in times. And I think you might have used my calendar yep. to book them. And yep. there was probably some days that just weren't available. And yep. it's like a deliberate choice to say, on these days, I don't have meetings. You can't really contact me. And yeah. um, it's kind of started from there. Yeah. So did you uh, inject and create the systems that enabled the effective working of the business so that you could make that choice? Or did you just make the choice and deal with the consequences and work it out afterwards? Well, the scheduling ones, that, that was a choice. It was like, if you, if you want to book a time with me, then these are the days where it has to happen. And they might be sales kind of conversation stuff that I still personally um, do. And that's good market research too. Um, but yeah, it, the consequences evolve from that and well, what do we need to build around the business so that I can run it from uh, the coffee shop. If I'm down the street and my team member have a question, how can they get in touch with me? A Slack message and I can fire off a response and kind of go from there. But yeah, everything that we do is very scalable and possible via technology, really. it's um, wow. That's the part, that's the secret. It's systems and automation that make things happen behind yeah. the scenes, yeah. Yeah, I think you touched on something that's really, uh, will resonate with so many business owners and business people being uh, a slave to the business. They, oh, you, heaps of them. So many people A lot of vanity tied to it too. What's that? Vanity tied yeah. to that. Oh, true. That kind of, yeah. that thing. Yeah, and so you, you experience that obviously as every yeah. business owner yeah, yeah, does. Yeah. Um, what was the catalyst to say, look, uh, to break you out of that and make you realise that what you were playing with was, you know, I haven't started a business. I've, I've just made another job for me, myself. Yep. What was the catalyst for you to realise that was happening and then step out of that? 
Well, I mean, if, if you're the one who's operating the business day to day, there's such a limiting ability. That's, it's very limiting. You know, you are maybe going to be able to produce, you know, a lot of results for your business, but unless you can get outside of that, then the growth of that business is kind of stalled by your time and your restrictions and whatever. So that's one big rock, I guess. You cannot grow without team and, and the like. Um, but the other one was just lifestyle kind of choices too, is kids being born in around 2017, you know, do I want to be sitting at my computer all day or do I want to be able to be present in their lives? And, um, and that played a big role. And it was very much just those two things meeting together. It's, hey, I can have a highly leveraged business that does good cash flow and generates good revenue that isn't dependent upon me being at a certain time or place or working on a thing at a certain time. And that's, I think, the benefits of tech and automation. Yeah. And then I filled the gaps with team um, yeah. to fill the spaces that tech or automation couldn't do. Yeah, that's really cool. All right, let's step one step backwards. We've uh, we've gone recently in the last, what would you say, year, AI has exploded onto the scene with, uh, uh, with a real dominance in people's awareness um it's been around for a long long time but mm -hmm. it's very present and accessible yeah how did ai uh shift the way you did things or how did you implement it into your business and when when did you kind of make that jump well as it became very present for people to be able to play with the tools and use them you know i was there in that early beta stuff mm -hmm. um, with OpenAI and chat gpt and playing with some of the API kind of options to see what we could maybe build. But for us now, it's another team member. And it's, it's this, this, this forever team member, you can imagine, that has the ability to be reached at any time and ask questions about most domains. And for my team who are in the Philippines, English second language, you know, they're really competent, but it's also a secret weapon for them too. It allows them to have someone that they can kind of bounce ideas off and you know share things with so it's like we've just grown capacity by just subscribing to an AI service and being able to query it and ask questions and um, have it be part of the workflow that that our business has it's pretty crazy that you mentioned that you've had uh, 20,000 lessons created with AI step me through how that works mm. how that works for the platform and for the user on, on connected PE yeah well we, like for years connected PE was Netflix for PE teachers yeah. come do courses get certificates now professional learning is a big part of what teachers have to do but that's more work it's always work to do your professional learning and that comes with you know some level of necessity but like not everyone wants to do that. So that the tools that we built recently are about giving back time. Mm -hmm. And that's a really powerful um, driver of just general traffic to the platforms, like people looking for time saving kind of uh, tools. So AI plays a role there. So they can come to the site, we've got about 10 different AI tools, lesson planner, assessment makers, um, PE games generators, all these sorts of tool sets and they can put their query in mm -hmm and get out a lesson output. Um, so a teacher might come along and say, 45 minute basketball lesson, Australian curriculum, year six. And what will happen is it will generate, you know, a lesson tied to the curriculum and give them some general kind of idea of what it is that they could teach. And then they take that, which might be 60 or 70% of the way there, 
and make their own edits wow. and then release it. How much time would you say that saves a PE teacher? Well, we do a webinar where we ask that exact question. So during the webinar, we just ran last Friday, there was a thousand people registered and the kind of question we ask is how many hours per week do you spend planning or preparing lessons? And the general kind of mix was about two hours to four hours. It's very varied depending on how much they've taught or what the thing is they're preparing, but they spend some time. Mm -hmm. So if we take that and make it half the time, then what we've really done is made them be able to spend more time with their family potentially, mm -hmm. or they get to focus on the thing that actually matters, which is the face-to-face -face stuff with kids. And that's where our messaging kind of, you know, goes. It's like, what would it mean if you didn't spend all the time planning the lesson, you got to spend more time thinking about the delivery of the lesson and, and then that was more efficient um, because teachers are overworked. So we kind of lean into that, that metric uh, and it's very visible by the feedback we get. Yeah. Um, one thing that's, um, I'm noticing is that you're really in touch with your target market your clients and their needs who they are what they feel mm -hmm. what they want that is um it sounds easy but every business owner will know that you know some businesses operate and they don't actually know their customers at all yeah you make assumptions yeah they make a lot of assumptions and uh i'm interested to walk me through the the journey of connected pe and how how did you get to the stage of knowing your customer so well and building everything based on what the market desire is? What, but what does Connected PE look like over its iteration? <laughs> when did it start? What yeah, did it yeah. look like at the start? And how have we got to here? Well, the, the big reason, the answer for that is because I was the customer. Yeah. So I was a PE teacher. And I think I've kind of always will think of myself as one. And even though I haven't been in the classroom per se, uh, for almost 10 years, I have a daily interaction with teachers all over the planet, um, asking questions and needing help around the, the ins and outs of teaching PE. Mm. So in the early days, how this all began was me creating a blog to share my ideas around using technology in PE. That was it, that was literally it. Wow. And I had no idea that it would become a thing, but you know, you grow an audience of people and eventually it was like a thousand people and they were following. I'm like, why are they doing this? <laughs> but like they were interested in the topic. Yep. And when you have a thousand people, it's like you get all these data points of like pains and issues and challenges and hopes and desires. And then if you can make sense of those things and put them into a product, then you're kind of in the right spot. And the very first product we made was an ebook. Yep. And it was really just a collection of, well, these are the things I keep hearing Here's an ebook that helps you, go, you know, introduce technology into your classroom. And that was the seed ground. It's like repeat that process. Ask, get data, feedback, what do people need, build things to, to kind of solve their issues. Wow. And so the first iteration, that ebook, was there a point where you noticed a shift in the market or uh, came up against some barriers of, um, the desire for that particular product wasn't there as much as it was, or how did you um, iterate the the offerings um, to to scale to where we are now? Well, I was very much building um, products, not in all cases, 
that were before the readiness of schools. Right. Um, not all teachers were ready to embrace digital delivery and you know using mobile apps in the classroom. So we were very much at the very early stages of even thinking about that kind of thing. So that the biggest barrier and constraint was schools' abilities to think that this was something that they could pursue, um, which led to probably the biggest and most successful product that we've ever had, which was our face-to-face -face kind of in-person training that we ran in 45 countries, I think, to date, where you know we would go and train groups of teachers on how to leverage technology in their classroom. Um, so that part was a big barrier. Like, hang on, we can, should we even be thinking about these things? Right. And the celebrate, celebratory victory lap was COVID. When COVID came and it was essential to use digital delivery, it's kind of like, oh, hang on, he's been talking about this since 2011. He, wow, it's kind of like, yes, this was, this was the reason why, because there is reasons why this stuff kind of has a lot of validity. Yeah, well. um, so these days we do less of that because yeah. it's kind of assumed that technology plays a role in day-to-day -day teaching. Yeah. And we, you know, we build out in other spaces. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. So We're a bit too early. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could look at that as um, you were leading the, the market yeah. in that, in those, uh, in what was coming. Yep. Uh, which is pretty cool space to I be. like to skate to where the puck is going. Yeah. And I think a lot of businesses f like to operate around where the ball already is at. Yeah. Um, and that's fine because that's, that's an opportunity. Like, there's a lot of money to be made in that. But for me, I'm way more interested in where it's headed yeah. and building product for the now. Yeah but also like, what does it look like in five, 10 years? And if I'm not building for that and disrupting myself, someone else will be. Yeah. What's your process for, and your thinking, like what do you, how do you approach doing that practically? Like do you just kind of sit down and have a, have a good dream session about like what, what is coming or like what does it look like <laughs> for you? I think that's just all the time. I'm always living in the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <nice. laughs> I mean like, it's just part of the, the, the nature of, of how I operate. But it is, it's like, you know, what does these implications mean? Like what's the, what does what we're looking at now translate into the future? And, you know, AI is obviously a big part of the thinking of where I think it heads next mm -hmm. um, in our field. And, you know, how can we help support teachers in what that might look like? And then build things to support that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if I look at all the competitors, I don't think of them as competitors, but people who do professional learning and stuff for PE teachers now, they're still building their business as if it's 1970. They're doing conferences once a year. They have face-to-face -face events. They do paper-based resources. And I just don't think they understand what that, that's just not going to be very relevant, even less and less so. So I'm just, yes, looking ahead and how can I keep myself relevant and the business relevant? Yeah. Um, and just test things and, you know, kind of iterate from that. Yeah, so really you're, you're serving, your goal is to serve an increasing market. For sure. Um, and the, as you say, I love how you communicate about competitors that they're, they're not necessarily, they're just other, I like to see competitors in the video space as colleagues. You know, oh, we're yeah. part of the same industry, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So why on earth would you, Treat them like the enemy. That's ridiculous. Yeah. But those uh, a lot of businesses 
are serving a decreasing and a dwindling market. Mm -hmm. um, so you're positioning your business to serve the wh where the market is going to increase and where what's going to get more um, demand for. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just look at their product line. I shouldn't say they're like they're you know not doing it right. They're doing lots of good things, but if their main revenue is driven from creation of lesson plans and rubrics, like what does that look like in a world where you can spin one up in a few minutes? Yep. Um, and like that, that makes me just think, hang on, maybe there's not going to be a business there. Yeah. And how do I stay relevant? Because we like that was a thing that we wanted to do for years: build lessons yeah. and material. But the barrier for that is you've got to hire someone to write them and you're limited by their output yep. and their time and commitment is costly. Um, and then AI comes along, we build a product that allows people to do that with a click of a button and we've kind of jumped past all those issues. All the barriers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah timing was perfect. So it sounds like um, uh, your business was pr probably one of the ones that did really well in COVID. Well, we did because yeah. we had a, a lot of online training offering. Obviously, Connected PE is literally that, 200 hours of courses. So, yeah. hey, just so happens that we have courses on running PE online. Hey, subscribe to the platform Amazing. and get access to it. So wow. it, was, it was a good thing, but there were some other impacts, you know, like other businesses that we run are dependent upon things happening at school. There was no sports carnivals happening. Uh -huh. So we did well in some product areas but in other product areas it was kind of like a complete wow yeah <laughs> oh, good. yeah I can imagine um, so I want to dive into some success stories so what are some key milestones over your journey where you you were standing there going wow how did I get here mm-hmm mm -hmm. there's been a few like some of the very first most simple things altogether were were that um, the first app we ever made that had me make a thousand dollars in a day yeah. from selling a piece of software was like <laughs> mind-blowing kind of yeah this is very leverageable and scalable and you know at that stage i was still just a teacher too so it was you know a big thing yeah um probably the one of the biggest is um we ran for many years a conference in dubai and we would have about 150 people come to it it was the connected pe conference yeah. and it was a six-month conference in that they met for two days in Dubai, but for six months prior, we had all this free webinars and things happening with the presenters. So it was an extrapolated event, basically, wow. um, where the assumption was that they would learn over six months, different courses and whatever, and then they get together for, for two days and, you know, take it to the next level. And Why Dubai? Well, it's central to the kind of world for where a lot of people are, yeah. um, so international school sectors. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it makes a ton of sense because you got people who can fly in from Europe and the Middle East and Africa, and mm. yeah, we I think 150 people, 30 kind of seven countries of attendance, and um, yeah, big deal. Lots of organisation involved in those. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like how how did you had you run events before? How did you manage that from a business perspective? I'm going to run an event in Dubai. Do you just go? Oh, I'm going to work it out. Well, we'd run hundreds of events prior to that, okay. um, but there were single day events where it was one room yeah. and me presenting to a group of teachers um, in you know 40 countries or so. So very familiar with that kind of general process, but making it a couple of days, doing it so I didn't have to pay for venues, kind of all these intricate like different things that um, 
made it very possible and yeah yeah no expenses needed to like to to get started and that was wow. yeah kind of possible because we're using schools yeah if you use the like we had a host school kind of arrangement and the right. host school got to send all their stuff free great and lots of other perks that that kind of coincided but i love that way of thinking too one thing i'm getting on to is uh mergers and acquisitions mm -hmm. but doing doing it in a way that doesn't require cash. Yeah. There's value to be had in a whole range of different things and it doesn't have to be money out of your pocket. For sure. And that's, that, I can see that's how you are thinking about how do we get this done and provide value and leverage what someone else finds value in yep. Yep. so that we can actually do this thing. Yeah, yeah, because if we put our hand up and say we want to hire a school, now we've got to sell enough tickets. There's all these pressures and assumptions and yeah. I didn't want to be in that space. So yeah, whenever we travel around the world and we still do it now, um, there's never any cost that's ever been incurred from getting the venue. I it's really that. just an exchange for, well, we'll give you a couple of free tickets. Yep. And in the big one that we ran in Dubai, it was 10 staff can come from your school free. Yep. And then we would have sponsors that donate sports equipment yep. and your school can just keep all that equipment. So they ended wow. up with, you know, five, $10,000 of sports equipment. Wow. So it was kind of just like yeah, great managing relationship kind yep. of stuff and limiting risk. I love that. And obviously the, the win for the sponsors and the value is access to the, to the audience, right? Yeah. That's yep. great. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay, there's some pretty cool success stories. Uh, tell me, tell me about some failures. I want to hear about some lessons learned. There's been a failure. lot. There's heaps. I think we touched on it before, but these assumptions that people make about their audience are, yeah. are, can be dangerous. Okay. Um, and but you know, not dangerous. Oh, maybe they could be, but yeah. I've built things before mm. where it's a problem. Oh, sorry, a solution in need of a problem. Yeah. Yep. And that's a lot of people when they come and talk to you about their business idea or their opportunity, they they might be in that kind of mind frame. You know? Right. So explain that um, that concept for the viewers. Like you, you've got a a you viewed idea. Yeah. But maybe no yeah. one has that problem. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So and that and that's a very common thing. Mm. So I am have learnt the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> that it makes sense to validate these kind of things in some way first, yep. whether that's with actual paying customers or whether that's with some MVP solution that gets yep. most of the way there or um, not all the way there, yep. to limit these risky endeavors where you've built something and no one turns up. Yeah. And you know, a couple of the small ones that I had built were some courses that no one wanted to get. So like, I spent all the time making the course on the assumption that, oh, this is gonna make sense. Yep. But no one no one actually signed up. Well, we were a very yep. small group of people, not yep. to make the work make work sense. While. But do that a bit down the track, and it was sell the course first and build it live with the audience. Yeah. And that was an entirely different kind of, you know, level of risk needed. It's like, hang on, I've got now I've got twenty people who are doing this thing live. We're just gonna build it together in real time. Wow. No realization from the audience that that's what was happening. It was really just the, what were they buying was the roadmap and yep. um, it was able to change based on feedback and yeah. Wow. So what were, do you remember any uh, specific examples of courses you thought were just gonna be gangbusters and, and people didn't want them? Yeah, one was like a video kind of analysis course, but in, in many ways it was, it was just a bit too early. 
Yeah. Um, we were talking about video analysis, but the kind of the course was just too soon. What you're talking about the this idea of um, producing something and testing an assumption yep. um, that doesn't take a lot of resource and everything like that. That's the it's a similar concept to what I I. Um, a thought I bring from Good to Great by Jim Collins mm -hmm. is, or Great by Choice, I should say, is the idea of firing bullets before cannonballs. Yeah, sure. And, and testing. So, how do you approach that? Like, say you've got a, a great idea and you you're not sure if the market wants it. What would you do next? Well, you hopefully you've got an audience. Yeah. You know, I think that probably might be a very important step that people miss. Yep. Um, great, you've got an idea or a solution that you think people might have. Do you have a channel to find out if this is a real thing? And some people don't have that yet. And that's going to be an issue because now you're having to buy an audience, yep. you know, like with ad spend or yep. um, with affiliate kind of relationships and partnerships. Yep. But if you can, if you've got an audience that you've curated maybe through being a, a thought leader in that kind of area, that's going to be a big, big reason, um, you know, a, a help. Hmm. So I had that, you know, I had this email list of 20,000 people. Um, and it's a great breeding ground to be able to put things out and say, hey, does this resonate? This is, this is what we're thinking. This is the idea. Here's the order button. This is why you would order now. And based on that, you're able to kind of uh, validate and build in this early beta group in kind of like the Kickstarter, Kickstarter model yep. without kind of using Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and the, the web app that is one of our most successful now, Sports Tracker, was built exactly that way. It cost me $156 to test and build that startup, which, which was the cash that I needed to do some proof of concept mock-ups. And I sold screenshots and ideas, and I had a sales cap in mind of what I needed to target, and um, I sold lifetime deals to those people. And you know, if I didn't get enough sales, what would I do? I was just gonna refund them. Yeah. Fortunately, we we scratched an itch that needed to be solved and yeah. we built all the money needed to build the thing. Wow. But without having those people in that beta group, what we built would not be the same thing it is because yeah. I had assumptions about what it would have been. So yep. we've got a much better product now because we sold early yeah. to the market. And that's one of the bigger reasons why I like that approach. Yeah, that's genius. Um, but it really does uh, hinge on having that audience, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can do this stuff without it, but a lot of people I talk to have a, have a problem that they think they can solve, yep. but their way to get it out into the world is limited, which means you're now going to have to rely on um, other ways to do it, which are expensive, mm. or you've got to lean on a friend that might have an audience there. Mm. So if you're sitting and thinking about potential product like what who are the target audience that you can attract now into a facebook group or a you know linkedin kind of circle or something just by sharing your thoughts and being helpful around that kind of you know how can you attract them become magnetizing so that one day you've got this great group of 100 people that you can float these things to mm. and kind of go from there because it's very difficult to do it without an audience mm. even if your idea is amazing yeah what are some of the ways that you've used to um, build the audience? You talked about the blog initially. Mm -hmm. That would have been a great starting point um, because you know you would have owned that um, audience or that 
that, that data really, wouldn't you, in, on a blog? I don't share it. Like I, I get to be able to use that at my disposal, yeah. Yeah, so what from there did you did you launch and bring the audience into a different space than the blog? And, and, and you said you talked about an email list now. How do you engage with them and continue to build that? Practically. Sure. Yeah, over the years, it's, it's um, been about producing content that's helpful, high quality content that's free in that domain, PE, and getting someone's email in exchange for that content. That's the, that's the basis of the business. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I know people spend a lot of time building social platforms and profiles and the like on these different places, but if you don't, I mean, you're not in charge of that audience on those and they can disappear or you know you, you don't have the ability to reach them so it's always try and own the race course as James Shramko my you know mentor would 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 say how can you own the race course not just be a horse on the race course um, yeah that's awesome that's a classic issue that uh, everybody experienced with Facebook specifically and a lot of different um, social platforms but Facebook in the as you would remember in the early days it was like this is like audience building heaven it's oh, just like sure. you have a group and they see everything you post every day yeah, you know, yeah. every time you post it instantly yep. but then it all all changed without yep. anyone being able to you know influence that yep. you your reach to the your group the people that have said I want to be in this group your ability to actually reach them mm. is throttled to a minuscule amount. Mm. Do you currently use any social media platforms to engage with your audience? Uh, LinkedIn is a space where I go and just do thought leader type topic stuff. Mm -hmm. um, they're not all PE teachers that follow me, but like they are. Um, we've got 35,000 people or something that follow me on X. I was going to yeah. say Twitter, but ah. X. Yeah, good. Um, good however, these days, I my interests on X is fully crypto based, so ah. and has been for you know twenty seventeen or whatever. So I choose okay. not to talk about PE and stuff on that platform, yeah. even though I know that that's where my business had most of its social reach and impact over the years. Um, I I just stopped talking about PE on that platform, and because I wanted that platform to be something that I enjoyed. Yeah, and I, these days I have other platforms for that, which is LinkedIn and like Facebook groups and things. Well, that's, that's an interesting topic as well because we're talking about personal brand kind of stuff there or, or yeah. separating and segregating the content that you put out on a particular platform. As we know, people are complex creatures. Mm -hmm. um, for example, I've, I've run a couple of podcasts, but my LinkedIn doesn't say that. I may change it to that. <laughs> um, it's, it's about Hebron Films and the business that I run. Sure. Um, but I've got heaps more interests like, than, yeah. than just running this one business yep. and and there could be audiences to tap into and uh, particular things to creative outlets mm -hmm. um, how how did you you said you since 2017 mm. how did you decide uh, was that just something you tested to go look I'm just gonna separate out the content that I put out on different platforms was that a conscious thing or was it like um, some content's getting more traction than others or what? Twitter used to be a really good platform for us to, for PE teachers, but I just.
that's and then awesome. picking other platforms to talk about. Like we do have a Facebook page and um, there's plenty of PE specific groups that, you know, I see things in and talk about, but um, it's just, yeah, changing over time as your interests do and not feeling like I have to be a certain person on a certain platform because I don't know, I, I wanted to benefit in other ways. I love that. Yeah. It, it feels to me and I, I bet it feels to you even more that you're, you've created spaces and uh, tools that serve you yeah. rather than the other way around. Yeah, people get in that trap. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, you know, they might have a very successful business, but like we said earlier, a slave to it. And um, if they really think about it, like, do they like what they've created for themselves? Mm. And it's a choice. You can build things that make, make it better. I'm wondering, uh, as we're kind of getting towards wrapping up our conversation, I'm wondering where Connected PE is going. You're a visionary, you're a dreamer and a thinker. Dreamer. Uh, what, <laughs> what are you, what's on the horizon for you at the moment? And do you have a, a plan for the business? Is it, is it something you're building to sell? Is it something that is going to continue serving you as we've talked about? Well, there's products that are currently for sale. So a couple of products that we build and um, have as part of the umbrella. Yep. Connect P is the umbrella and underneath it we've got products and services. Yep. Um, we sold one last year, which was an attendance capturing app. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I built that as a teacher. I'm like, I want a good way to capture attendance. This app came to existence and it ended up doing really well, but not in the classroom, in like karate studios and really? those sorts of spaces. And how did you approach selling an app? We use a, a service called acquire.com mm -hmm. and steps you through the process and found a, a buyer and because it's a recurring revenue business, yep. it was just very attractive to them and um, that was the first sale. And the second one that's currently in the process now um, would be a you know 20 times that amount kind of sale, like a really big deal. And wow. um, yeah, so building a business that incubates ideas and builds other businesses to sell them is definitely part of the, you know, the thought process behind stuff. It's like, how right. can we start something, build it, make it scalable and profitable, mm. and then sell it and get rid of it and, um, yeah, build a lifestyle that serves up, you know, what I would like to do. Yeah, I love that. So it's uh, connected PE sounds like really the, the manufacturing plant that is pumping out things that you can sell, which is yep. the next level kind of thinking rather than approaching a business I think the like word is called mult, multi, multipreneur. A multipreneur? I don't know, something like that. <laughs> that like not awesome. solopreneur. Yeah, I heard yeah. someone coin it multipreneur. I don't know, I can't even think of Yeah, no, that now. sounds pretty it's funky. like the idea is to build businesses that build businesses. Wow, yeah, um, right. And, you know, have this kind of, yeah, opportunity to, to get rid of them. So a lot of the stuff I build now is very independent of me, Jared, yeah. and the personal brand. Yeah. Um, it's sellable because Connected PE began as the PE Geek, which is actually what I'm known as online. Yeah. Um, and that was the main, that was the blog. That right. was that was the, the main traction. But it was, if I want to make Connected PE sellable, I have to pivot away from being so reliant upon that, that initial kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so these days it's very much, how can you make something that someone else could run just as easily? Um, yeah, make them that. into assets, not jobs. Wow. That's super cool. So that's so it's going to continue pumping out 
I guess so. Things. I hope so. Mul- yeah, yeah. Multi, multi-preneur. I might have butchered that word, but it's <laughs> this idea that, you know, a solopreneur yeah. is, is limiting in its kind of thinking. And, um, you know, these days you can be trying different things in different arenas mm. and doing it from one kind of umbrella and testing and hopefully building. It's a business that builds other businesses, um, I which I kind of resonate with. Yeah, that's super cool. All right, uh, to round this out, what are your top tips for someone who's maybe sitting in that um, business owner, early business owner stage, or even thinking about uh, launching into a business or running a business? I know that's like nearly everyone. <laughs> what are your top tips for uh, running and operating a successful business? Anyone can do it. Like I, I, and I know that's very cliche, but some people wait for permission. Yeah. And I don't, I, you, you're the reason that something can start or go. So just like go for it. Yeah. I think uh, having an audience is kind of really important. Um, so I would be putting time and attention into making sure that you have them in a way where you can communicate with them readily. Mm. And email still is the best for that. Mm. Uh, like without a doubt. Yeah, there's a lot of people saying that email's dead. What would you it's, say to that? It's, it's really not. Like it, it isn't. Like 40% open rates in our industry. It's still pretty high in other it's, industries. So it's pretty huge. I mean, you've got thousands of people that are a click away from being able to, to engage you. That doesn't mean you don't leverage other platforms, but it should be driving to a resource that you own that can never be taken away from you. Um, you know, if my website's disappeared and all my social platforms died, I could still send an email tomorrow and make an offer. It's yeah. like, if you're a business owner and you don't have a database that you truly own, I would be looking at how you can, how you can do that. You know, how can you siphon people from your social media platforms through some sort of opt-in to get their email and then be able to use that channel to market? Um, and yeah, I mean, build an audience or control them a little bit better and, and find out what kind of challenges they have and build things for that space mm-hmm. um, test it first though mm. like don't make assumptions yeah. you know and make the choice to, to to build it in a way that 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 serves you because um, the last thing you want to do is dread what you've set up and built yeah um, and I've had moments of that too for sure yeah um, but yeah conscious choice to serve me and I suppose uh, that I mean, that's a great wrap up of pretty much our whole conversation, <laughs> are those few key points. But uh, it sounds like, uh, and a lot of business people will resonate being dreading the job um, and feeling like they're, they're controlled and, and they're just serving it. Uh, it sounds like you've really, you've gone hard into and you've created something that's sustainable. Would you say that that is your reality? You feel like you're you're not um there's not a, a a time limit on your energy input and that you're going to be able to continue and happily do so yeah yeah recurring revenue is a big factor in that mm. um if you can make something recurring then you probably should consider it mm. um because it's very easy to sell once to a customer and do things to delight them and keep them forever that's i think easier than having to go out and acquire new customers all the time so you know, how can you take your one-off products and make them recurring is a big reason why much of this seems sustainable. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't always like that. You know, we used to sell lots of one-offs. So you're always in this sales kind of got to make a sale, have to get some more leads in. And, and that is fatiguing. Um, so if you can just do that once, 
and deliver a good product and keep them recurring, you should aim for that. Yeah, that's great. That is uh, such a key principle of selling. It's so much easier to sell to someone that you've already sold to. So yeah. why wouldn't you just acquire the customer once and keep selling stuff to them that yeah, is yeah. actually helpful? Keep delivering value. Like that's what it comes down to. Make something that actually is valuable mm. and package it up so that they just never don't have that thing. You know, <laughs> that, that's really what we do. Yeah, that's so good. Jared, mate, thanks so much. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you are like burning desire to, to tell on this podcast? Oh, I mean, the, I think apps and, and business business owners can benefit from having their own kind of app. Um, it's very easy to do these days. It's kind of like you think back to how hard it used to be to build websites in the day, mm. and then it became really easy. Mm. Now it's kind of very easy to build apps and the idea of having a mobile app that serves your prospects and customers in interesting ways to help them get results um, is, you know, I think a, a pretty awesome kind of thing. Mm. Um, so what would an app look like for your business? Who knows? But it's much more accessible than it was previously. That's a high value thing to think on. Yeah. I yeah. love it. As your takeaway. That's so good. <laughs> Jared, thanks so much for coming on, mate. It's been an absolute honour and a pleasure to hear about your business. Thanks for having me. Can't wait to see what Connected PE does in the future. And if anyone wants to connect further with Nect, further with you, how could they do that? Whether it be crypto. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots to talk about there. Yeah, I bet. So many cool things happening in that space. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn, just search my name on LinkedIn and maybe you can link it in the show notes or something. And will do. That would be the easiest. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks, mate. Thanks, man.